If you're a physician who wants more autonomy in how you practice or fulfillment in your life, you're in the right place. This is the Change Physician Podcast, where our guests reveal how you can learn the mindsets, skills, and strategies to create the life you want without selling out your morals or values. But before we begin, I want to remind you of the free book giveaways, guides, and other physician resources available to you at thechangephysician.com. So welcome back to another episode of the Change Physician Podcast. This is your host, Dr. Kevin Kukaro, with my co-host, Dr. Melissa Cady. And today's guest is Dr. Brad Block. Dr. Block is an ENT in practice out on the East Coast. So we're covering the entire geographic realm of the United States today, <laughs> which is quite awesome with our airwaves here. Um, but also, and much more interestingly, he has a podcast called The Physician's Guide to Doctoring. And for this episode, we're going to talk about uh, Brad's journey from pre-med through medical school and then go into why he created his podcast and what his, his experiences has been along the way. So, Brad, thank you for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this for a while. All right. So let's start way back at the beginning here. You know, when all of us had a reason that we went into medicine. So why did you decide to go to medical school? Um, it's going to be the least inspiring reason around. Um, I couldn't think of anything else to do. It seemed like it seemed like a good idea at the time. You know, I did I did well in school. I did well, particularly in the sciences. I struggled a lot more with anything that wasn't the sciences. So I thought, you know what? I'll go into pharmaceutical sales because they seem to make a lot of money. Uh, and then, you know, eventually I, I so I didn't start off in in um, pre-med. I had, I mean, I was a science major, so I had all the, I had a neuroscience major, so it was called the biological basis of behavior. Um, but, uh, you know, my plan was, my intention was not to go to medical school. Um, nobody in my family was in medicine. It wasn't anything that, and, and when I made the decision to go to medicine, um, my parents' first response really tells you why I um, actually needed to start a podcast. Um, there, there was, and, and, why my intention wasn't to go into medicine, they said, you know, you're going to have to talk to people a lot, right? Because <laughs> um, I wasn't really that, you know, I was more of a wallflower. Um, it's, it might be hard to tell from my, my pot. I'm not in, as enthusiastic with my introductions as you are, Kevin, but, you know, I, have, I like to try to amp myself up for the, for the podcast. So yeah, so my intention was not to, to go to medical school, but then what, what ended up happening was I, I studied abroad in Jerusalem, um, which if you haven't been to when the pandemic is over and we're actually allowed to uh, circumnavigate the globe, um, that is you know, a unique city. There aren't that many cities in the world that there's nothing else like it and there's nothing else like it. So I spent a semester there and it gave me uh, some perspective on the gravity of what gift of life we have. Um, and given that I did well in school, I thought maybe I should do something where it's not really the bottom line that is the major incentive. Maybe doing something that serves others would be a better use of my time. And it, it just so happened that one of my friends that I met studying abroad was pre-med. So the two of us kind of went on this journey together. So you mind if I ask you a little bit more about that then, because um, six months is is not a lot of time in your 20s. I can see where that would, or or, or late teens, I could see where that is a, a big chunk of time. But was there a specific event that happened while you were over there that made you kind of change this perspective of, because almost, you know, almost seems like you're wanting to, I'm not necessarily say give back, but there was a higher calling involved with this for you. Um, I think it was just a change in perspective based on, 
being in that city. Okay. And seeing what life is like for the people that live there and um, just the history. It just, I don't know. I, I'm having a tough time describing what it was about the experience that said, don't be so superficial. Mm-hmm. Have a little more meaning to your life. Life is, life is meant to be lived with purpose and meaning, not, um, not just accumulation of stuff. Well, that's a, a fantastic insight to get when you're so young. And I can see that. That's one of the, the gifts of travel, not to kind of get off char- track too much. But uh, and you go to these locations and you see the history there. And it kind of makes you think you're, you know, question your own mortality a little bit, why we're on this world and, and where we're going to next. So pretty interesting. Exactly, um, exactly. The second part, though, I have to say is if your parents said, you know, you're going to have to talk to somebody, but you're originally thinking pharmaceutical sales, you'd have to talk to somebody doing that, too. I, I didn't know what I was doing. I just knew <laughs> that I was a, I was good at science, so I was going to study science. And I was at Penn, which had, I wasn't at the Wharton School, which is the business school, but you have all these like high-powered people going into business. And I thought, you know, I'll find some businessy thing to do with a science degree. That, that was, you know, I was in college. Um, so I didn't know anything about anything. And the thing about medicine was, and I didn't, so I didn't have a path, right? I didn't have a next step, but medicine gives that to you. Medicine gives you the next step and the next step and the next step and the next step until retirement. Like you have a clearly defined path and, and you know, what we've all, or a lot of us have experienced with the pandemic, notwithstanding, you know, the path, you're always going to have a job. There's always going to be a job, even if it means being furloughed for a bit, you know, eventually people will start coming back to the doctor because even if you're, you're going to be able to go some, someplace and find work, even if it's not in your city of choice. Yeah. And so starting on that traditional path of, you know, this kind of this hamster wheel we've all gotten on where you kind of have some, some type of structure on what comes first, getting into medical school, how old were you when you got into medical school and where did you go? So I took a year off. Um, I guess that made me 22 when I started. Mm-hmm. Uh, my year off was, uh, sounds a lot sexier than it was. I, uh, I was either commuting from my parents' house on Long Island or sleeping on my grandmother's couch in Manhattan, but I worked as a bartender, a personal trainer, and I caught, taught MCAT classes. So that was a fun year, but not as fun as it sounds like it would be because it would make like a good movie or sitcom, but no, no great stories out of that year. Um, and then uh, so I, t- I had to take the year off. So I, what happened was I didn't really have guidance in terms of application. Uh, I just applied where I thought I'd get in and I thought my application was a lot stronger than it was. So I applied to all these top schools and got rejected by all of them except uh, waitlisted at two and then got into one. So I got into one medical school and, um, and then, you know, which is SUNY Buffalo. So right on the border with Canada, one of the, if not the largest unprotected border in the world, right? With those, those Canadians. Um, <laughs> and uh, if, if you've never seen Canadian bacon, fantastic movie. Uh, so, so Buffalo, Buffalo, which actually shares more with the Midwest culturally and accent wise than it does the city, New York city and, and the surrounding suburbs. So spent four years in the great white North where we would leave the library and our eyeballs would be frozen open because it would be so cold. <laughs> it was, it was a, a great place to get studying done. 
Yeah, way too cold for me, but um, I've been up there. My my grandparents had lived up in that area. Um, so speaking of medical school and your experience, was what was medical school like for you? Was that what you expected or tough or you just kind of plowed through it? Yeah, it was, it was it's kind of like an extension of college. I only had one year off. It's not like I came in so much more mature and ready to do work differently. Uh, it was it was an extension of college. So yeah. there was a lot of studying, but also a lot of hanging out. Yeah. Um, that's, I, I, I don't know how many people are going to want me to be their doctor after hearing, hearing <laughs> that. But, but I mean, ultimately, it's another four years of studying and, yeah. you know, doing as, as well as you can on the tests. And that's yeah. what college is. And that's what medical school was, except now you're having to, you know, you're, you know, third and fourth years are different because those are your clerkships, right? You're, you're, you're in front of real, you're in, in a setting, you know, you're, a, you're an apprentice at that point. That's when you start your apprenticeship. So obviously those two years are not like college, but the first two years are, and, it, and it's kind of a, I think a somewhat smooth transition from one to the other. Yeah. So did you figure out pretty quickly or were you like most of us where we weren't sure what we we're going to do and, you know, every rotation was something new and interesting or when did you find out what you wanted to do after medical school as far as subspecialty or specialty? Um, so I bounced around a bit. Uh, I liked interventional radiology. I liked orthopedics. One of the reasons I didn't do orthopedics is I don't follow organized sports. So um, I would have had nothing to talk about in the operating room. And I just assumed they wouldn't like me. So because of that, so I, I didn't do, I didn't do orthopedics. Um, actually, I, uh, my intention was to do pediatrics and do pediatric cardiology. Um, and so I, I picked, uh, because I, I thought I was going to do pediatrics, when, when I had my choice of subspecialty, it was ophthalmology, otolaryngology, anesthesia, and, and something else. And so I picked ophthalmology because eyeballs gross me out and eyeball injuries gross me out. So I figured I would get over it through this rotation so that if a kid came in <laughs> with an eye injury, I wouldn't be grossed out, right? Yeah. And I didn't get my choice. I got otolaryngology as my, as my second choice, which ended up being serendipitous. So um, I also did uh, pediatric cardiology rotation. Um, but at the time, at least, there was no... Uh, transplant program. So pediatric cardiology, the rotation consisted of mostly, it's a, this is, you have a benign murmur. This echo is normal, you have a benign murmur. This echo is normal, you have a benign. So like there, the, a lot of their day was just that. Like, you're fine. You're fine. You're fine. You're fine. Come back in a year. We'll check again just to be sure, but you're fine. Um, which then when I did my otolaryngology rotation and I did a, a good amount of peds on that, um, you know, it was, it was, they were intervening and then someone was like, they couldn't hear, they put tubes in, now they can hear. Um, there's horrendous snore, they can't breathe through their nose at all. Some of these kids have failure to thrive because they, their adenoids are so big that they can't eat. Like try, next time you're eating something, try holding your breath while you're eating. And, and this is how some of them, and then you take them to the operating room, which now that I've done, I don't know, 2000 of them, I can tell you they're, you know, they're pretty simple. Um, once you've done a couple of them and these kids do miraculously, they do better. Suddenly they're gaining weight. Suddenly they can sleep through the night. Some of the, suddenly they're not having these apneic episodes where their parents are like freaking out because they feel like they have to reposition them every time they have an apneic episode. Um, and like, and, and then they're better. They're better. Like you, so, so those interventions where it's like low, um, low risk, low morbidity, not such a long recovery 
and you turn their life around was amazing to me. And, um, and so that's, you know, between seeing one versus the other, um, that, that's at least, and, and the interesting thing is that was my experience, right? Someone else in a different location or a different time of year or different, something different might listen to that and be like, wow, that is not, that was not my experience when I was on otolaryngology. And that was not my experience while I was in pediatric cardiology, right? Like maybe they're seeing, they're, they're, they're associated with a cardiothoracic surgeon or they do a lot more interventions. So my experience, and, and this is, you know, right? I'm sure you guys had to have the same perspective. A one week rotation, a two week rotation, one month rotation for what you're going to do the rest of your life. Like you might not, you might not choose it because the people that you're rotating with are dicks, right? Sorry. Can I, is that, is that, I figured that was, but right. You might have that experience and now you're not doing something that you really would have enjoyed. Um, But, but I, you know, I, I, I know personally, I don't think there's like one right magical specialty and all the rest of them are wrong. I think it's a continuum. Right, like I could have been fine being a urologist or an ophthalmologist or interventional radiologist or an anesthesiologist or, you know, emergency medicine. Peter, I, I, I would have been probably very happy doing a lot of these things, but yeah. this was this is how to, how I ended up doing uh, otolaryngology. At least that was my foot in the door, and then um, my one of my best friends, who's actually practicing in the same practice from me about ten miles away, also said, and I'm not sure where it fit in the timeline dude, you should check out otolaryngology. They do pretty cool stuff. <laughs> I'd probably verbatim. I mean, at this point, it's, it's like 20 years ago, but uh, yeah. Well, there you go. It's so funny. You're, you're, you're making me think about all the stuff that happened uh, when I was in medical school. It's the same thing, right? Like the, the, the exposure that you get is, it, it depends on who you're with, where you are, who the attendings are, are doing, the residents, and it has such an impact. And we, in, in, and to really kind of consider that um, at that age, at least for me, I didn't really have a good idea of how we make decisions, right? So looking, look, knowing what I know now, it's like seeing all these things that influence how you choose things. It's like, holy crap, that's like the worst environment in the world to like <laughs> craft a life that you're supposed to do for the next 30 years. Yes. But I also had a friend, I was like, oh, you should check out anesthesia. I think he was originally going to do ENT. So um, I must've taken him from, and then also he did anesthesia. And then I told him to do this and then he did it, but it's like, it's probably not the best way to choose your future life by whatever your friends say, but it works out. It seems to work out in some way, shape or form. So you, you know, you chose, chose to go into, to ENT and was there ever a point though, that you're like, you know, maybe this didn't make sense for me. Or was there any time in medicine? You're like, this isn't exactly what I signed up for the whole time. <laughs> you've heard it here <laughs> yeah in, in residency I, I just recall like and and i i came up in the eight hour work week mm-hmm. um you know like i'm 41 so when i trained we were already completely under the eight hour work week um but you know some one of the ways they contended with that was they took a they, they took a hospital that was previously home call, I'm sorry, in-house call, but wasn't, you know, the call wasn't that busy and they just made it home call. So now like easy. Um, 
you know, we still have the same number of attendings. We still have the same number of clinics um, to cover. We still have the same number of surgeries to, to cover. Like that, that didn't change. If anything, they hired more attendings while we were there. So the amount of work didn't change. We didn't have any um, advanced practice providers, um, physician extenders, mid-levels, whatever, whatever name, um, you know, uh, physicians, assistants, and nurse practitioners. We didn't have any. It was just the residents doing all the work. So it was hard. It was a lot of work. And there were many times where me and Michael residents were, were looking at each other and be like, are we quitting? Are we going to quit? Are you ready? You're going to do it? Are we going to do it now? Are we going to? We're just so, so beaten down. We were yeah. very, we were very, you know, there were many points. Now, this is not unique to my program, right? Like, it's not like my residency was, my residency um, experience was any different than anyone else. If not, they were also like more, worked more than, than we did, if anything, because if you look at my resume, there's a significant lack of research. So some, somehow, you know, people managed to go through my program and just kill it with regards to research on top of all of the work that we, we had. So, you know, I, I, I can bellyache all I want. There were, there were definitely plenty of people that worked a lot harder and produced a lot more than I did. But still, it was rough. It was rough. Residency is medical school. Not that bad. Residency is really where the rubber meets the road. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it changes you. It changes you. Like, you know, there are points in my day where I'm like, my wife is really enjoying our kids right now. And all I can think of what needs to be done next. Mm -hmm. You know, like we're, that's, that's how we think yeah. because we're just trained that way. Like we, we triage. Yeah. Make a list. What needs to be done? We got to we got to check all this stuff. Are the teeth brushed? Are there, you know, is there milk warm? Is there pajamas laid out? Are there diapers changed? Are there like like what? Like come on, let's go. Let's we're, we're, we we got to move. And like she'll be sitting there, reading, with one of them, like, and I need to be more like that. Obviously, I need to be more more yeah. mindful. It's uh, but residency changes you because of that. Because you know your your time is always occupied with something. Yeah. You know, I'd like to dig into that a little bit because I, I have uh -oh. the same struggle. What's that? Uh-oh. I don't uh -oh. know if I just stepped in something here. <laughs> no, it just, um, I, you know, I, I can't say, I can't really um, say it's everybody, but you, you make a really good point on this, this, the way that we're wired and trained. I mean, neurologically, we are wired to to we have so much to get done that we have almost no other choice but to think of the next thing that needs to be accomplished or checked off and and out of concern maybe for patients and you know to make sure we cross all our t's dot all our i's and do right by the patient so no bad outcomes happen do you do you feel like it do you think this is something you see in other people and yourself a lot when you it kind of transfers over into your personal life where it's um a challenge to be present and, and not be thinking of what I need to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's one of my main, one of the main things that I'm trying to work on more in my life is, is being, being present because it's, it's constantly like what, you know, what do I have to check off my list? And, you know, our, our profession is, is different at least my, cause I do predominantly outpatient. I spend anywhere from a half to a full day in the operating room a week. Uh, but the other day, the, all my other time is, is in the office. So it's always like the patient that's in front of me, take care of them, 
and then the next patient. And it's always like the next patient, the next patient, the next patient, the next patient. So I don't have to struggle to be present in that setting at all, mm -hmm. right? Because I'm, I'm able to be laser focused on, on the patient and their needs. Um, but I'm also, you know, at that point, I'm also maybe distracted by writing the note or, you know, writing whatever orders they need or whatever, you know, whatever it is that, that we need to do in order to complete their visit and take good care of them. Uh, but then when I get home, um, it is, it, yeah, this is where the wheels come off. And, mm -hmm. you know, I need to be, I need to be more present with my wife and, and with my kids and with my friends. And, and what I've found, actually, one of the things from my podcast, and I don't even remember which, which episode it was, where and it might not have even been, might not have even been my podcast. It might have been from listening to someone else's. Um, <laughs> where, where it's uh, it's you know being present, uh, uh, it's something that I've I've talked about. Uh, is is different from listening. Like when I'm with my patients, I try to be present. And then one of the ways that you can get good at being present with your patients. Um, rather than, you know, when, when we're taught in medical school, you have to listen, make sure you're a good listener, be a good listener, make sure you listen. Like, what does that even mean? I, I think it, I understand it better when it's be present, like be focused on what they're talking about and them and their needs and don't be, don't be distracted by anything else. Um, and one of my uh, interviewees, one of my guests referred to that as listening with both ears. So you make sure you're listening with both ears. And one of the ways that you can get good at that is practice doing it in other parts of your life. Practice doing it with your friends. Practice doing it with your spouse. Practice doing it with your kids. But because I'm in a different setting, I'm running through that list. What needs to happen next? What needs to be done? Yeah. And it's and it's hard to just even now, you know, almost 10 years out of residency and it's it's hard to get out of that mindset. Yeah. So, um for residency, how long was your residency? 5 years. 5 years. And um, so you went into private practice and as far as traditional, the traditional game plan that you were talking about earlier, where along this path, this traditional path, did you decide to do something different like a podcast and what, why? So it's that, it's that resident mindset. So what happened was I initially lived in Manhattan, but I worked on Long Island and it was quite a commute. Not, not so, maybe like 45 minutes in either direction. Um, as one of my co-residents said, the suburbs is where youth goes to die. So I was single at the time. So I had to live in the city where there are other single people. And, and so I spent a lot of time on the road. And so what, I was, what was I going to do? I ended up discovering podcasts. Discovering maybe isn't a great word. I didn't discover them. I didn't invent them. They were, they were there and I listened to them. So, um, so I could use my time usefully, right? Instead of just listening to the radio and having these moments, free moments where you can just relax. No, I can't do that. I have to use my time productively. Um, and my, my wife makes fun of me because I would sometimes eat. Um, I, would, I would sometimes go surfing after work and then I would have a sandwich to eat on the way home. So I wouldn't have to, so I'd be able to multitask just eat and drive. And so sometimes the sandwiches, they were frozen and they didn't defrost over time, uh, in time. So I would, cause I didn't keep them in a freezer pack. What was I think I could just, so I would, I would be eating frozen sandwiches while I was like wet and sandy on my drive home. And she was like, I rescued you. The same woman that combed my hair because I had forgotten that this was, uh, <laughs> was going to be a, a, a video interview as well. Um, 
makes fun of me because she rescued me from frozen sandwiches. So, so that's, you know, that's how we live our lives. These free moments, I have to take advantage of them and be doing something. So what would I do? I would listen to podcasts. And what, what I found, so there are kind of two reasons for do, doing the podcast. One was I listened to podcasts that tried to, because I, what I tried to, this brings back uh, what, I, what my parents said to me uh, when I decided to go to, into medicine, which was, you know, you're going to have to talk to people. So, I, you know, I wasn't the best at engaging with people. Um, I, I always thought I didn't want to do it. I wasn't interested in, in doing it. But really what it came down to was I wasn't good at it. I wasn't good at it. So what did I do? I just didn't do it. So I didn't talk to, you know, I was single. I didn't talk to anyone at bars. I would just go and hang out with my friends and not meet anyone new. And, you know, I would, you know, I wasn't very good at being single. So uh, thank God I'm married now. So, um, uh, so I, I tried to figure out how could I better interact with my patients, right? We're with them for a very short period of time. How could I make sure I'm doing everything to the best of my ability? And so I would listen to podcasts that were about, they call it social engineering. Um, and so this one that I listened to is called The Art of Charm. Mm -hmm. uh, and the host of The Art of Charm has, it is about dating, but the host of The Art of Charm, the, 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 the history is interesting, eventually peeled away from the company because he was outgrowing it. His podcast became about just being a better human being at, at everything, right? Not just he, he realized that like network, like a lot of the social dynamics that he was interviewing people about could be used in other parts of your life. So he said, well, why don't I spin it to that? And then we're just not in this niche. And they were like, you're out of here. So he ended up doing his own show. His name is Jordan Harbinger. Harbinger. So he was the inspiration because I was listening to him to get better at these interactions, right? And there, were, there, were, there was a lot of that out there. There were a lot of people that would talk about dating or uh, coaching executives or lawyers on social interaction, but nobody was talking to doctors about it. And, you know, it's kind of important for us to be able to interact socially or not socially, but professionally with our patients, yeah. but it doesn't get talked about uh, that much. So I thought I'll start my own podcast. And four years after I had that idea, I finally executed. Mm. Uh, and, and, and here we are, and I'm uh, a little over two years into it. And the other reason I did it is because when I walked into my exam room, uh, when, I, when I was hired, I was first an associate, now I'm a partner. I'm I, I, just a plug to my practice. I'm, I'm a partner at ENT and Allergy Associates, which is the largest ENT practice in the country. We're actually five times bigger than the second biggest practice in the country. We uh, were all over the New York metropolitan area, like New York and New Jersey, uh, you know, all the suburbs of the city, all five boroughs were, were, were a monster practice. So I, lo I, I looked and I'm still with them nine years later. And I love, I love my practice. I think they do things so, so well. It's, it's such a well-oiled machine and it's physician run, you know, it's run by the, uh, we, have, we have a board of elected partners. So, um, you know, it's, it's, we're not working for the man. We're working, you know, we're working for ourselves. So I looked at my two exam rooms and after medical school, you know, uh, sorry, college, medical school, residency. I now looked at these two exam rooms and thought, so this is where I'm going to be spending my next 40 years. <laughs> okay. Let's uh, hang those diplomas up on the wall and see what happens now. So what the podcast does is it gives a little more depth to me. First, it helps me because I get better it's like I get a personal coaching session every single time from someone that can help me be better at being a physician. 
and and the episodes apply to almost every single specialty almost all the time. Like that's what I try to 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 make it about. And um and it gives me something more interesting to so how is your day today? You know, how was your week? You know, we tend to see the same things over and over and over. You know, and I'm not gonna be talking about my patients. You can't hip a violation, it's just ethically wrong. Um so it gives me, you know, something a little more interesting to talk about. <laughs> no, that, that's, that's fantastic. And I, I particularly love um, how you notice just like, well, we don't, this is so important, but we don't get practice. So how can I go out and create something that, that gives me practice and actually then also gives to the listeners those same soft skills that we were not taught in medical school, which is always kind of shocking. Uh, that medicine is such a, a human centric or it should be a human centric practice. And yet, uh, you know, as you mentioned, the Krebs cycle on your website, we learn about the Krebs cycle, but we don't learn about communication strategies, strategies, motivational interviewing or reflective listening anywhere in that whole practice. So, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I've never once needed to know where fumarate is in the Krebs cycle <laughs> for treating any of my patients. And I see about 400 patients a month for the last nine years. And not once has that come up. So <laughs> If you're out there on a medical school curriculum or writing the questions for step one, please think about that for a second. Think about that. Well, that and that's a, that's a good point. But um, what do you think? So you started this podcast and were there any episodes or were there any guests that you had on that, that really like you saw an epiphany or something that's like, wait a second, whoa, this, this makes a lot of sense and how it's relevant to medicine or um, or any sort of experience like that where you're like, whoa, I didn't even expect this to come out of my podcast, but it did. So uh, one of the episodes was with um, Blake Eastman, who is a poker player, a professional poker player. Um, and he started the first brick and mortar poker school. And he, uh, but he's an expert in nonverbal communication, right? So he teaches people about mm -hmm. tells and he does his own studies. Um, he's, he's actually very academically minded and he's done consulting work for physicians and hospital systems before, right? It's not like I just, this was my great idea to have him on, on the show. Um, he's, he's kind of known in this, in this space. And, you know, I was expecting him to talk about just where you should have your hands in your lap, uh, where you should, you be mirroring people and what should your facial expressions be? And he said, physicians need to exude two things interest and authority. And I thought the way that he broke it down into those two things was so um, succinct, right? Like interest. Well, how do, you, how do you express interest? That's your facial expressions, right? Like you furrow your brow a little bit. And one of his things was not like, I, I tend to use my eyebrows a lot. Now that I'm seeing myself on the screen, it explains my, my children. They, <laughs> they tend to use their eyebrows a lot. <laughs> it's better on them. Um, but, but he said like, you know, squinting is something if your patients are, if you just do this the whole time, they're going to think you're totally not listening to anything they're saying. Right. But you, you kind of use your lower brows, you lean in a little bit and you, you know, that's going to, that's going to show, although I've been in the sun all day, so I don't think it's coming across in my, my image, but I'm, I'm, so that's, that's how you, uh, you express, you express interest. And then vocal tonality is for authority. So when you're speaking to someone, you have to speak using an, an authority-like voice because if you're going to, you know, um, pa patients aren't going to really treat that well. So you need to be interested and you need to be authoritative. And, and I thought that was such a succinct way to, to, to think about it. 
another one was was Scott Dickers, who um, was founded The Onion. And and like some of these guests, I I don't know how I got them on my show, <laughs> but somehow I did. So the guy that founded The Onion that teaches how to be funny, he actually wrote books, how to write funny, how to write funnier, and I think there was a third one, how to write funniest. And one thing that he said <laughs> about being funny was, and he's got these different ways, these funny filters. Like if you're explaining comedy, he has it broken down into 18 different funny filters. Well, that was a reference and that was a, um, so he's different ways to do it. But what he said was when you're, when you're talking to patients, um, always um, comedy is for comforting the afflicted or afflicting the comfortable. So if you're going to make a joke, either be afflicting the comfortable or comforting the afflicted, but you never want to obviously afflict the afflicted, which is who we're seeing, right? So you have to make sure your, your, comp, your comedy is pointed in, in the right direction. And then if you, if you bomb in a joke, then you can, you're the comfortable one. So you have to turn it around on yourself and make yourself the butt of the joke. And it's very easy to do. Just say, I'm glad I'm sticking to medicine and not having a career in comedy. <laughs> right so it's easy to it's easy to save and it's unlikely that your patient has listened to this episode or my episode and um uh, and are going to know that you stole it from him or you know took it from him so <laughs> they may even appreciate that though oh, you're using you're using that thing i heard on on dr uh block's podcast doc that was that's great <laughs> to hear I, even though your joke sucks sorry but you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's awesome yeah. So I'm I'm curious. Did you have some hesitancy when you went to start the podcast about just putting yourself out there? Um. Yes and no. I mean, my company. I had to run it by them first. My practice. Mm -hmm. I had to. I had to make sure. And so they were like, "Yeah, send us the episodes before they go out." And after I sent in like three or four episodes, I realized they're not listening. <laughs> they're not. <laughs> they might have listened to the first one to make sure that I am. Um, and I'm not, I'm not doing anything that's not legit. Yeah. Uh, but after that, they, they lost interest. Um, but, you know, no. Good. <laughs> I should say, I should say yes, because it makes me sound pretty arrogant um, that I, that I didn't have any hesitancy about putting myself out there. Um, I've, I've been hesitant to put a couple things out there. You know, like I had an episode about Lyme disease mm -hmm. and I was concerned about the, um, it being identified by a certain audience and that would then take to uh, online reviews in order to smear me uh, yeah. because they didn't agree with what the interviewee had to say about Lyme disease. Sure. Um, you know, there's a lot of vitriol out there. I had another one with uh, about vaccines. It was just about, wasn't it even about our vaccines, should you be giving vaccines? Yeah. The assumption being, we both were on the same page with that. Um, her, her her episode was about how to talk to people in a constructive way about vaccines. And I think she did such a, such a wonderful job, you know, not being, you know, the big takeaway from that one was before you react, just listen, just listen, just listen to what they have to say. Listen, and then, you know, you don't have to hit a home run every time. Just be engaged, take their their perspective into consideration and listen and then respond to their concerns. So, but I, but I, you know, I was concerned in those two instances about being identified and then, you know, my, my livelihood, which this is not. 
My podcast is not my livelihood. In fact, it is a black hole for my finances. It is, I'm doing nothing but pouring money into it and getting none in return. Um, so, uh, you know, my, my, that, that's really the big issue with it is that it's not, not even financially, but just time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it's time that I could be seeing more patients or spending time with my family or doing another hobby. So um, it does, it does certainly, you know, because it doesn't add anything to my life financially, it only takes it away. Um, it's, it's, it's a little bit of an issue, but it's just a, you know, it's a calculated decision. Yeah. Do you think that it's um, kind of an extension of how I think we're naturally inclined to be learners academically and, and it gives you that little outlet to keep learning. Um, and at the same time, maybe helping other people learn those things too. Do you feel like it's kind of fills that need? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for my show, I'm the avatar, you know, I've, I've, uh, so I've had a couple of people on where I wasn't, you know, there wasn't totally something that I would have thought of. Um, or something that I thought was relevant to my practice or my life. Uh, but, but the overwhelming, that's probably like two, maybe three, I think, yeah. or maybe just one. Um, but the, the, by and large, they're questions that I want answered. And I just assumed if I wanted them answered, then other people would want them answered as well. Sure. So um, I'm not sure if that answers your question. Yeah. Yeah. Kevin? It was, I like that. I'm the avatar for this. And I was thinking about, (laughs) well, and and there was a couple, lots of, actually tons of different things that were hit on here. You know, where Melissa, you were talking about, is there like almost an academic aspect to this? Because I kind of wonder, you know, you leave, you know, once you leave training and you start into practice, it is very easy to fall into the grind. Like if you are not an academic center, you are going to be seeing and doing the same things every day. And while you're meeting new people, it's the same thing every day. So it's, it's in a lot of ways, it could be almost seen as an assembly line where, and I could see where, where physicians, we are generally have some intellectual curiosity. Sometimes that was beaten out of us by all the learning that we did. Um, but I'm, I'm kind of curious, have you found yourself to be more engaged now with learning after starting the podcast? Has it kind of opened up that, uh, that intellectual side or, or did you ever lose that intellectual side at any, any point in your career? I think the lack of research in my residency <laughs> is telling, um, I, but, but it was, you know, it's not that I wasn't reading, like we're constantly studying, we're constantly trying to improve. But yeah, when you go into private practice, you're, you're just not around it that much. You're not going to grand rounds. You're not, you know, you're seeing the same things over and over. And so, yeah, I think, uh, Melissa, what you were asking before, that this is, and Kevin, what you're getting to now is this is um, my way of continuing to improve. This is my way of, uh, and helping others, you know, listening to the podcast. And I might not even started it if, if I had found, you know, a podcast like mine at the time. And now there are others out there and I don't appreciate the competition. (laughs) Thank you. Um, But um, I, was on, I was on another podcast and when they put it on social media, the, the tagline was, you should not start a, if you're a physician, you should not start a podcast because apparently that's what I said. And <laughs> I'm sure it was in the context of like, 
what I'm saying now, which is I don't I don't need the competition. But no, it, it's um, you know we're we're we I think we do we get into the habit of of self improvement. We're constantly trying to get better. And what what am I not doing in my practice? I'm not pushing the limits of what I can do surgically, right? I'm not doing cerebrospinal fluid leaks and skull baked tumors and head and neck cancer resections. Like these are some of the things, microvascular reconstructions. These are the types of things that I did in residency. But what I'm doing now, I do, you know, a lot of tubes, tonsils, adenoids, septums, sinus surgery, sleep surgery. Um, I do some voice and, and swallowing disorders. Uh, you know, that's, that's, that's it. You know, maybe a couple of things that I can't think of offhand, like preauricular sinuses, fine. But like, I'm doing the things that I've done a thousand times before. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and each time I do it, I'm, I think I'm getting better at it, but, but at the same time, I'm not exploring new devices and new techniques and new, you know, if something comes out as a new technique in the literature, I'm certainly going to try it. And I've, and I've, I've, I've incorporated some new devices into my, into my practice, but you know, I'm not doing the super complicated surgeries that we did in an academic that were done in an ap- academic center. I send those to the academic center because they are best done at an academic center, right? With right. some some exceptions, I'm sure. But um, you know, especially being in the New York metropolitan area, mm-hmm. right? We have a ton of academic hospitals. Like we live in the shadow of the city, uh, and on, on Long Island, there are some great hospitals. So so I, I send to people that do that stuff all the time. So because I'm not doing that, what can I be better at? How do I how do I continue to improve? Well, I make sure that my patients are getting the best physician in front of them because a lot of otolaryngology is medical management because we spend so much time in the office. How do I get better at those interactions? So I see that as, as that's my, my continual improvement is how do I get better at that interaction? How so do I recover if- from a bad joke? Yeah. So if physicians want to learn a lot of these things that, you know, you've put on your podcast, uh, where would you direct them? Um, We'll put it in the notes too, but if you want to give a a shout on your website to find that podcast. So just my website is Mm physiciansguidetodoctoring.com. It is, it's not a blog. It is just a podcast. (laughs) And so uh, it is a jumping off point for said podcast, just so we can, people can find it easily. There's nothing more on my website other than episodes. So um, Physician's Guide to Doctoring, if you look up either Bradley Block or Physician's Guide to Doctoring, it'll pop up in any of your podcast players. I'm, I'm everywhere. I think I'm everywhere. Um, <laughs> I'm on Twitter, at Physician's Guide, where I basically just use it to post episodes. I do interact a little bit on Twitter, but not, not very much. I'm not on Instagram. I haven't figured out what I could possibly post other than episodes on Instagram. Uh, and I'm definitely not on Pinterest or TikTok or Etsy. Uh, I can't see myself being on there. Facebook, again, same thing. Sometimes I'll like repost other, other things. You know, I do the same thing on Twitter. I'll I'll retweet, but, um, but that's, that's pretty much it. Physician's Guide to Doctoring anywhere, you know, anywhere great podcasts are sold. Awesome. Kevin, any last questions? 
No, I, I really enjoyed this though. And, and uh, talking to you, Brad, today. And thank you so much for coming on the show. I, I loved your perspectives here. Um, interesting enough, you pulled up all these old memories that I was having about. Oh, yeah, I remember it, that. Were yeah. they memories or were they, were they nightmares? <laughs> I, well, are they really nightmares if you learn something from them? All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. But uh, no, it, it was great. I sure, I, I feel like I could talk to you for another couple hours, which is always one of my, what I love about this podcast is that we get to interview wonderful people and interesting people. And, uh, you know, thank you very much for coming on the show today. Well, thank you for having Melissa and Kevin. This was a lot of fun. Awesome. Well, another uh, entertaining and educational episode, uh, much more education to be found on his physician's guide to doctoring, uh, website slash podcast. Um, you can find them at all the venues for the podcast. For those of you listening, this is the Change Physicians Podcast. I'm Dr. Melissa Katie with my co-host, Dr. Kevin Kakaro, and our awesome guest, Dr. Brad Block, and we'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for joining us today on the Change Physician Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please let us know by going to thechangephysician.com. And while you're there, be sure to check out the free book giveaways, guides, and other physician resources available to you simply by joining the community at thechangephysician.com.